We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. In the hands of waiters, three seconds left for three in the win. Yes! Dion has done it! I watched Marcus Morris handling the ball like he was a point guard. I watched him give the ball to Julius Randle. This brother was dribbling the ball up the damn court. First team all defense. First team all defense. I don't know about this, but Rihanna just walked in front of me. Are you kidding me? Welcome to a Wednesday afternoon edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast presented as always by WinBet. Check out winbet.com. Uh, I'm joined by Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, we will run through some of the top news of the day. There isn't a ton. We had a, a very small slate, even by Tuesday night standards in the NBA. I, I assume the league was kind of stepping aside and letting college basketball take center stage last night. Uh, I, I know you're not a huge college basketball guy. Am I safe to assume you were not clued in on Gonzaga versus Dixie State last night? Uh, no, I was not locked in. Really? Okay. Well, I, keep an eye on Chet Holmgren. Keep an eye on Paolo Bancaro at Duke. Um, I, I watched the the majority of that Duke-Kentucky game late last night, and uh, there's a decent amount of NBA talent on both of those rosters, believe it or not. I, I thought Bancaro looked really, really good, but uh, we'll get into that with James uh, one of these next couple of weeks. I, I think the top news in the NBA today, and again, we're kind of reaching, but Nikola Jokic suspended one game for his role in uh, Monday night's takedown of Markeith Morris. Um, what, what do you think? One game suspension for this? Is that too much, too little, about right? I think it's fair. I mean, the shot by Morris was a complete, I mean, it was a cheap shot. He just like decked Jokic at half court and then turned his back and walked away. It's like, well, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I looking back at the replay a lot, obviously like the hit looks really bad because Morris's neck kind of snapped back, but I don't think Jokic actually hit him any harder than Morris hit him. I think it was just Morris wasn't ready at all um, to like brace for impact like Jokic was. So yeah, one I, game seems appropriate. I, yeah, I think it's appropriate. I was expecting more. I, I was thinking probably two or three games just based on how how it looked. You know, like I, I don't think Marquis flopped at all. I, I think that was a genuine, you know, not expecting a hit from a guy who's seven feet, 300 pounds. But I, I'm glad that the league took into context the the amount of inertia that was going into that because if it's if it's anybody else, you know, if it's I, I don't even know if it's Monte Morris coming after Marquise Morris and he does the exact same thing that Jokic did, you know, Marquise maybe recoils a little bit, but he doesn't go slamming to the ground like that with his neck, you know, looking like he got in a car accident. 
Um, but because it's Jokic, you know, like, I, I think it, it would have been a lot different if there was like a punch involved or even an attempted punch. Like we've seen that result in like five, 10 game suspensions in the past. But I, I think the league basically was like, well, that's kind of just what happens when you weigh as much as Jokic does. Like he didn't really do anything malicious. He just kind of like rammed his body into Morris. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've seen way worse stuff than that. I mean, like I saw it reminded me of when Aaron Aflalo tried to uh, throw a haymaker on Nemanja Bielitsa like five years ago. Um, should look up that video if you haven't watched it in a while. Like actually tried to kill him. Um, I don't I don't remember what the suspension was for that, but it was like not what Jokic did was not even close to like what that could have been, for example. Right. I mean, I remember when was it Sergi Baca? I mean, Sergi Baca's thrown some punches at people. Uh, yes, the that's, that I, that's the one I was going to bring up. It was uh, he almost killed Marquise Chris, of all people, <laughs> grabbed, grabbed him by the throat. And I mean, if he had connected on the, on the punch that he threw, that would have been that would have been kind of an all time NBA fight. So you, I think he was lucky that he ended up missing on that one. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Marquise fined uh, fined fifty thousand dollars. Jimmy Butler fined thirty thousand uh, dollars. I love the language that the league used in the official release detailing the suspension. And the fines, it was like Butler fined $30,000 for attempting to escalate the situation. Uh, he, he did not succeed in escalating it. He looked, he was like trying to make it look like he wanted to escalate it. Um, and, and this has been parsed out on Twitter by now, but it's so funny to watch like one by one, you're like Tyler Hero kind of approaches Jokic and then backs away. Butler kind of did the same thing. Like, I, I think, again, if it was almost any other player, we would have seen more retaliation from the Heat, but you can kind of see the decision making in real time as they get up close to Jokic, they're like, I actually don't know if this is a good idea. <laughs> there is a lot of that in the NBA, for sure. Mm-hmm. Kind of like fake, uh, you know, people acting like they'll fight each other. But then when it actually comes to, like, <laughs> facing up to a person, uh, especially the person the size of Jokic, who, like, is constantly, like, I mean, obviously, you know, people know Jokic has, he doesn't have, like, a history of, uh, like, you know, this kind of thing on the court. But... Right. Everyone knows the situation with his brothers also being like seven feet tall, 300 pounds, and they fight MMA. And he grew up in like a war zone <laughs> during the Serbian Civil War. So like, he's a uh, he actually is not scared of anybody. Right. It takes a very special set of circumstances for pretty much everyone on Twitter to universally side with the Jokic family on this one over the Morris family who like. Yeah, you know, like typically the Morrises are like the the default, like oh you don't want to fight those guys. But like they like I didn't see anyone saying like you know what I actually think the Morrises could take down the Jokic's. Like that that take did not exist whatsoever. But you know, you mentioned the fact that Jokic has never really had anything like this before. I I think that did factor in the into the decision to only suspend him one game. You know like he's not even a guy who really racks up technical fouls or anything like that. So when you when you come in with a pretty squeaky clean image, I, I think there's a little bit more uh, a little bit more leeway. So all all in all, pretty good news I think for Denver. Um, on a four-game week, especially for fantasy purposes, to not lose Jokic for the final two or three games of that one. We only had three games last night. Like I said, Buck Sixers was one of those. Another kind of ugly game for Milwaukee uh, against the Sixers team that was without Tobias Harris, without Joel Embiid, without Matisse Thibel. Um, you know, we saw a lot of Furkan Korkmaz in this game, a lot of George's Niang in this game. Um, and without Giannis kind of going supernova and and really looking like he just didn't want to lose to this team uh, at times in the second half, uh, this this could have been another ugly one for a Milwaukee team that you know had struggled to score these last few games without Chris Middleton. Uh, they had gone under 100 points in four of their previous five. The only game uh, where they bucked that trend was against the Detroit Pistons, which barely counts. Um, but where where are we at on Milwaukee 
right now. We're now, what, 11 or 10 games, I think 11 games into the season. And obviously the record's not great, but you have to take into context how many guys they've been missing, even relative to to other teams like the Sixers that have had COVID issues. Yeah, I don't think we're anywhere on the Bucks. Like, I don't think you can actually string together like a real take on how their season's going so far, just because of the amount of injuries um, that they've had. Like, Grayson Allen, like, so Giannis has played the most minutes on the team, but after that, it goes Grayson Allen, Pat Congaton, George Hill, Jordan Nuara. So that's just not even remotely close to what the Bucks look like. So I don't even, I don't even think you can construct a, a take out of what's been going on so far, other than I'm not sure Dante DiVincenzo is getting his starting spot back. That's about the only take I have so far. I did see you toss that out on Twitter last night, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think it's going to be a situation where he, the door will be open for him to earn it back, but he's not just going to get it back right away. I, I think partially because even when he's cleared to return, I assume you know he's been out for so long, and it's a foot injury. You know, I'm assuming it'll be there'll be some sort of ramp up period. You know, highly yeah. unlikely that he'd be thrown right back into the starting lineup. Um, so I, I think he's going to have to play really well, and he's probably going to need you know a minor slump from Grayson Allen to get that spot back, especially because, you know, rewind all the way to last season. It's not like this injury happened midway through the finals. Like it happened. What for it was first game against the heat in round one, right? Uh, first or second game. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I mean, the team went on and won the title without him, uh, obviously caught some breaks along the way and, and nobody's saying that they were worse with Dante DiVincenzo, but you know, I, I think there's a, there's mounting evidence, I guess, to suggest that Milwaukee can be just fine without him. Um, but I, I think one takeaway you can have for Milwaukee is that the Grayson Allen signing has been a, a massive success. And he's probably yeah. played he's played a lot more than people thought he would, uh, more, more so than even the Bucks probably hoped he would. But, you know, we're we're now three weeks into the season and Grayson Allen is tied for third in the NBA and made threes behind only Lillard or Lillard behind only Curry and Buddy Heald. Yeah, I mean, I think people who were. I think casual NBA fans just kind of assume Grayson Allen like wasn't that good or just continued to you know, like continued his antics from college on the Grizzlies and just wasn't really anybody. But if you were kind of clued in and, you know, watching the Grizzlies games, especially um, in the playoffs and, and everything like that, you could tell that he's actually an NBA player. And that would go for when you look at his stats too and turn, see he's turned into a great shooter. I mean, and the Bucks have, you know, the Bucks have thrown out maybe more like individual different lineups than any other team in the league. I mean, they don't have a single lineup that's played 100 possessions together. Um, and Grayson Allen's second on the team in, in net rating behind only Giannis, which is a good sign when lineups keep getting mixed up. You know, you're not getting like entire bench lineups or entire starting lineups. It's kind of getting mixed in. So you have a, a better understanding of how guys are actually doing. But yeah, I just think, I mean, I guess my question is, has DiVincenzo ever played this well in his career for Milwaukee compared to Grayson Allen? And I know Grayson Allen is, He's getting more usage because, you know, Middleton's been out and Holiday's been out. But I just, I don't know, man. And that, plus they try to trade him, you know, DiVincenzo for, for Bogdanovich. Like, that's part of the equation, too, I think. I don't think they're that mm-hmm. committed to him organizationally. He definitely has never been this consistent as a shooter. And I think there's a case to be made that DiVincenzo is more valuable as as a driving kick guy, as a passer, as a defender. But he has not been this consistent as a shooter. And I, I think that's something that, it's certainly toward the end of last season, it felt like Milwaukee really lacked, right? Where it was like, unless Bryn Forbes is red hot, this team has like one and a half good shooters. And I, I think just having someone like Grayson Allen, who doesn't, in my mind, I don't think of him as like a Kyle Korver, Danny Green, like, you know, 95% of his attempts are coming from three. Like 
he can still do other things and, and still being able to offer you like 40% three point shooting on high volume is, is super valuable. But at the end of the day, pretty good problem to have, right? Because, yeah. you know, it's, it's not like DiVincenzo and Grayson Allen are both superstars who expect to, to play 35 minutes and have a 30% usage rate. Like, I, I think there's a world in which, you know, maybe you're trading off based on matchups, you're trading off based on who's hot at the time in the starting lineup. Like, I, I think it's the Bucks. I, I maintain that even though we haven't even seen anywhere near this full rotation yet, I, I'm still really high on, on this Milwaukee team going forward. I, I think once Middleton's back, once Holiday's back in the swing of things, he was very up and down during that game last night, I, I think still shaking off some rust. But I, I think once this team gets healthy and we really see how deep they are, especially compared to last year's team, um, I, I think they're going to start reeling off like a, you know, something like 12 wins in 13 games, something like that, um, once everybody's back. Yeah, and I mean, their odds to win the title have not moved. They're right. still nine to one. So clearly, yep. you know, the odds makers feel the same way. The NBA season is underway and Yahoo is excited to go big on daily fantasy basketball this season. There will be a ton of big prize contests throughout the season on Yahoo, including their multi-entry contests, which are now shark free. To celebrate Yahoo going big on DFS, as well as Yahoo daily fantasy becoming shark free, Yahoo's giving all users the opportunity to claim a free $10 in site credit. Users can take advantage of this free $10 site credit to join one of Yahoo's biggest contests. Yahoo will have daily NBA contests all season long as well. Play a single game contest of your choice throughout the week. Then join Yahoo's weekly Friday main NBA contest to compete for large cash prizes. Play daily fantasy basketball on Yahoo this season. Visit sports.yahoo.com slash daily fantasy slash welcome to claim that free $10 offer and get started today. I think something's up with Damian Lillard. Uh, this is not exactly a hot take when you look at the numbers so far. Um, had, a, had a solid game last night in that loss to the LA Clippers, 27 points. Uh, that's a season high, which is somewhat of a concern <laughs> considering that they played 11 games. Uh, 27, 5, and 6, 11 of 23 from the field, hit four threes uh, out of his 13 attempts, but only one free throw attempt in that game, uh, only had two free throw attempts the previous game, no free throw attempts in 38 minutes uh, against Indiana over the weekend. Uh, like e- even late in the game, like Lillard had a, a blow by layup, right? You know, everything looks great. He's flying to the hole and he starts kind of grabbing at his stomach in midair, still finished the layup and, and weirdly like stayed in the game. Like it looked like something like he was in obvious pain and kind of waved off a sub and, and stayed in the game for the remainder uh, of the loss. But, you know, the, we've heard rumblings that, Maybe he's still recovering from that abdominal injury that dates back to the Olympics. I, I, I don't know. I mean, does that does that explain why one of the like two or three best shooters in the league for the last five years is is shooting twenty six percent from three? It could be. I mean, that that probably affects your balance. I and mean, if you're, I mean, if if it hurts to like raise your arms up to some mm-hmm. extent because it's like pulling on your your abdomen, then yeah, I think that could really affect him and. I think the foul rules too have have kind of messed with him because he's a smaller guard, and I think he was like kind of Trey Young, maybe not as extreme, but was getting a lot of foul calls just based on people sticking their arms in, or he jumps back into people off a, mm-hmm. um, you know, after a pick, and like he's taking three point two free throws per game. His five year average before that was seven point two, so his his free throw rate is more than cut in half, right. and um. Yeah, I think I think it's that combined with the ab injury that I assume is still an issue, and it just kind of um, it's just really affecting him. Yeah, I mean, I've maintained 
all along that I think he is going to snap out of this. I still think he'll end up being a really valuable fantasy player. But I mean, if we do find out that there is still something with the app, like that, that kind of changes everything. You know, if he's if he's been playing yeah. through an injury for what would now be several months, you know, then then you're looking at you know some sort of potential absence if you need to treat it, or if he's going to continue to play through it. Um, I, I don't think you can hold him to the same standards. I mean, the, the free throws are the, the biggest concern. And we've seen this happen with so many guys that I think it is partially a league-wide trend. And Lillard isn't exactly in the Trey Young, James Harden, even Steph Curry category of drawing those fouls. But but like you alluded to, he's on the list, you know? And and he he takes so many threes that it, it felt like at least once a game he was getting fouled on a three. Like that's three quick free throw attempts right there. Um, those fouls have, have, you know, for the most part, uh, been eliminated. Um, I, you know, I, I think guys are, are going to, there's going to be an adjustment period. The question is how long is it going to take? You know, I mean, if we, are we going to be 30 games into the year and, and Lillard's still averaging like under three and a half free throw attempts per game? Like to me, that seems kind of unimaginable, but he's, he's taken fewer over the last three games than he has during any three game period this year. Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't even know. You know, for most of the the guys who have kind of been disappointing this season, I mean, it's a lot of guys in like the, who are drafting in the top 30 who have mm-hmm. been pretty disappointing, obviously. But I don't even know. He's I think he'd actually be a tough guy to sell or to like buy low on or you might be able to buy low easy. I guess what I'm trying to say, mm-hmm. because um, I think with the ab injury, uh, assuming that's an issue and like the thing is, they won't come out and say it so. Right. Um, you don't really know what you're dealing with if you haven't been fantasy or are interested in getting him in fantasy. How much will he bounce back? Will he not bounce back? Will they have to hold him out several weeks? It's just one of those things where I, I wouldn't know what to do if I had him on my team. And I, you know, if someone was trying to float trade offers to me, I it'd be really tough to kind of figure out what his value is. I, I luckily don't think I ended up with Lillard in any leagues and that I was certainly targeting him. Like I wanted to get him, but I, it just kind of worked out that I, I haven't really had to deal with this on a personal level. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, I, I haven't either. I don't think I have, I don't have Lillard in, in any leagues. I have LeBron in one, which is mm. obviously and Westbrook. And that's, that league is just uh, currently a disaster. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the player rankings right now and Russell Westbrook comes in at 72 in eight category leagues and Damian Lillard 73. So yeah, I oh guess you, I guess you dodged a bullet. Yeah, I did. Yeah, absolutely dodged a bullet. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by Vivid Seats. Preseason basketball has wrapped up and we're ready for the regular season to tip off this week. Live events are making a comeback and there's no better place to be than Vivid Seats to get back into the action. So grab your NBA tickets and cheer on your favorite team from the stands. Man. That feels good to say. Even better, Vivid Seats just launched a new and improved rewards program with free tickets for every single fan. Earn rewards, ticket upgrades, and perks just for shopping with Vivid Seats. If you're looking for tickets to the game, your favorite artist, or that new show that everyone is talking about, Vivid Seats has it all. Visit vividseats.com. That's V-I-V-I-D-S-E-A-T-S, vividseats.com, or download the Vivid Seats app today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions, and even more so, making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcasts. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting 
and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. All right, so when we were planning for this pod, I asked you to just come up with three teams that you want to talk about. I, I deliberately tried to give not give you like too many parameters. You know, like I, I just said like three teams that are really interesting to you. And it could be teams that are off to fast starts, slow starts, um, you know, something you want to project out for the rest of the year, uh, wherever you want to go with this. So give me the first team that you want to discuss and we'll go from there. Uh, first team I wrote down was Golden State. They are first in defense and fourth in offense. Uh, they also have the best simple rating in the NBA. Uh, 10.2, which at this point in the season, I think it's mostly accurate. Um, you know, kind of the it's a stat that uh, basically adjusts for strength of schedule uh, and that rating. Um, I it's just it's completely flying under the radar that Jordan Poole is playing as advertised as he did in the preseason. Wiseman and Clay are just going to be on this team later this season. Completely free additions for a team that's already playing a, like a top tier team. Um, and I think people are, I think, I think Wiseman is going to have a better year. And I think people are kind of underrating the impact he could have. And obviously Curry, Curry's playing amazing. He had a 50 point night the other, the other day. Um, but his, if you look at his, his shooting efficiency, he actually has room to improve on his numbers. Like he, he could actually be playing better without question. So like, I just, it's, it, to me, it's, they're really interesting because they are, they are so opposite to the Lakers in terms of. The Lakers just threw a bunch of talent onto the court that did not fit together. And we're like, this should work. Um, and it doesn't work. And Golden State has one really good player and they surround him with, you know, basically the best fits possible. And it's working amazing with way less talent than a team like the Lakers has. Yeah, that's a good way to frame it. I, I think they they kind of took the opposite approach and built a smart roster around Steph Curry instead of just stockpiling names and stockpiling has been talent. And lo and behold, they're <laughs> nine and one. And you know, I mean, Clay Thompson's coming back. I, I think there were, there was a lot of talk before the season that like, all right, if if the Warriors can just you know hang on and hang around five hundred, once Clay gets back, you know, they'll really hit their stride. Like, I mean, the way things are going right now, uh, they're they're going to be probably one of the top five teams in the league at the time that clay comes back and you know, if clay looks like clay, things get really dangerous from there. You know, you mentioned the, the SRS stat on, on basketball reference, pretty impressive to be number one in that. And by a lot, I mean, the number two is at 8.7 and, and golden States at 10.2. So a sizable gap between number one and number two. And that factors in strength to schedule. They've had the easiest schedule in the league so far. So, you know, not, not only, I guess, have they had the benefit of playing some bad teams, but they've also taken care of business against them and to still be that far ahead in that metric, you know, which is essentially trying to adjust for having that easy, easy schedule, I think says a lot about just how dominant they've been. Yeah, I mean, there's a very much like a clear top three in terms of that metric yeah. right now. It's Golden State. And it State. makes sense. Yeah, 
it's Golden State, Utah, and Miami. Those are the, right. the three teams that are standing out. And I think that kind of checks out with uh, how those teams have been playing and the kind of level of competition they've been up against. And um, yeah, I just, <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose like I wasn't really, I don't think I was really considering Golden State as a title contender because I was so locked into um, like Lakers, Nets, or even Bucks again that I just wasn't thinking too hard about like secondary contenders. But I mean, at this rate, I mean, we're 10% through the season more or less. Like we're basically a, a little less than a month in. I think, I mean, I think most of this is legit. And again, they're getting Clay and, and Wiseman back eventually. Right. I, I kind of forgot about Wiseman. And they virtually got nothing out of Moody or Kaminga. And part right. of that is by <laughs> choice. Part of that's by choice. Like, I, I don't know that that's going to change throughout the year. You know, maybe there's an injury or some of those guys, you know, as, as the year goes on, they develop in, in practice or get some work in the G League. And they, they work their way into the rotation. But it's not like they've, like, been dying for 25 minutes a game from those guys. Like, they simply have not needed either of their lottery picks. They haven't needed those guys. They grabbed Gary Payton the second off of like the scrap heap. I mean, he, he'd been bouncing around the league for a while, um, but he's, he's way above average as a defender and one of the best athletes in the NBA. Um, so, I mean, you know, they, they don't have like a ton of, I mean, they have some top end talent laying in wait, but like I, the talent that they have just fits so well together. You know, the guys that are actually in the rotation, um, Iguodala's kind of been who he is for a while, but Damian Lee is, is, Knocking down shots from three. Obviously, Otto Porter has that potential. Bielitsa has been pretty good for them, although he he's cooled off since that, <laughs> that hot start to the season. But um, they're just a perfect example of like what happens when everybody on a team is on the same page. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you picked the Warriors because I, I left them off my list. Uh, they, they would have been number four, um, hoping that you would grab them. So I'm glad we had an okay. excuse to talk <laughs> about them. Uh, I'll, I'll go to my first team, the Atlanta Hawks. Kind of on okay. the other end of the spectrum. Started the season three and one. Now have lost seven out of eight. They've lost five straight coming into Wednesday. Only one of those losses, uh, all, all of those seven, excuse me, only one of those seven losses has been even close. Uh, they're now 25th in net rating. They're 27th in defense. They really don't get to the free throw line. They don't take a ton of threes. I, I'm not really sure what's going on here. I mean, Trey Young is playing about the same as last year. Uh, the free throw attempts are down, uh, kind of a Lillard type of situation there. But again, we're seeing that across a lot of high usage guards. Um, so maybe not quite time to panic about that, but um, outside of Trey Young, I just, I don't know, like, do they really have a true number two? You know, John Collins seems like he's playing well, like efficiency wise, he's been good. His minutes are up, but his usage percentage is way down. It's lower than his rookie year usage rate. Um, he has a lower usage rate than Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter. I, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. We, we kind of danced around the notion that this team might be too deep during the preseason and I, I don't really know what else to point to other than I, I think that's the case. And I, I think they're they're trying to like please too many guys night to night. And it's it's resulting in kind of unfamiliar rotations and just a, a general like clunkiness on offense. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to say. I haven't I, I don't think I've like actually watched enough of the Hawks to feel like I can like say if there's they're just not communicating right on offense or defense. But I mean, you're you're right about their I mean, their defense has really regressed compared to last season. Um, you know, I mean, some of this could be small sample, but they're not. And they don't really have like a tongue of defensive like stoppers either. You know, Trey Young is going to give up a tongue of points. Capella's fine at the rim, but um, 
I don't know. I, I, I generally don't like the idea that teams are the notion that teams are too deep because uh, it's, I don't know. It's hard to have too many guys in my opinion, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. Something's kind of off. It could be, I mean, it could be kind of a hangover from last season. I mean, that, that could be factoring in as well. Um, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to say. I mean, they're interesting because they didn't get any worse at all, like in the offseason, right? Like they kept the whole same right. roster. Nothing should be different. I mean, I mean, is it possible that this team just had a really nice run in the playoffs and, you know, things kind of caught fire at the right time and they had good matchups and they were never that good? I mean, obviously they were good enough to make the East Finals and, right. you know, there were some breaks along the way for, for every team. Um, but is, is it possible that we maybe overrated them based on, you know, the beating a Knicks team that was somewhat of a paper tiger by the time it got to the playoffs, beating a Sixers team that we now know, you know, had very little cohesiveness and then, you know, taking the Bucks, who you know were without Giannis for part of that series uh, to six games. Like when you when you look right. back at it, it's like we started we kind of threw the rap or the uh, the Hawks into this, like maybe top three or four team in the East. Like there's a chance that was just maybe a little premature because for a lot of last season, that's not the team that they were. I think I think that's a good point to bring up. I mean, also, the East is just better top to bottom, or at least there there are fewer like really bad teams for them yeah. to beat up on, too. So I think some of that gets factored in or has to be factored in where there's just really not that many like automatic wins in the East this season other than Detroit and like even Orlando is kind of scrappy. So I don't know. Um, I just I, I think they could be a little compared to last season but the problem is i just like so many of the guys on their team right. that it's hard for me to like separate that from how they're playing they have like a three for one deal that they could pull and you're you're not going to get like a, a massive massive difference maker you know you're not going to land lillard or, or bradley beal or anything like that but I, I do think they have too many guys and i think there's some consolidation uh, i think would end up benefiting them in the long term uh what, what's the second team on your list chicago um the, a team that I was really high on entering the season, and I feel vindicated that <laughs> they're actually good because I feel like everyone was just like, ah, they're just making moves to to make moves. On I, these I, I don't know are... who said that. I, well, yeah. <laughs> Could have been anybody. Uh, I, well, first of all, I love this team just because they're a fun team, but it's just like it's kind of a redemption slash feel good story for a lot of these guys on the roster. Like, you know, people are saying Levine, he's not a winning player. Um, maybe that was more of like a two years ago thing, but. You know, DeRozan, oh, he's not a winning player. They, look, his teams are worse when he's on the court. He doesn't shoot three, stuff like that. You know, Lonzo, people, he kept getting hurt. People really didn't know what to, like, make of him as a player. He's now in the shadow of <laughs> LaMelo to some extent. Vucevic was, like, stuck as this just, like, nominal number one option in Orlando. And, you know, <laughs> the, the Lakers just completely gave away Caruso. And all these guys have kind of come together to be one of the more fun teams in the league. One of the best, I mean, they're one of the best teams in the league right now. Um, you know, they kind of just, <laughs> they're just like, what if we grabbed a ton of fringe all-star unselfish players? Like if we just get four guys who could be the top three option on a title team or like the third, four guys who could be the third best option on a title team. Well, if we got <laughs> four of those guys and put them on a team together, what would happen? Um, and it's just, it's, work together i think as smoothly as it could have in theory like this is the best case scenario for them and this is without you know patrick williams you, know, you lose him a few games into the year that the one like defensive right. glue guy that you think is, is kind of holding this all together based on the defensive reputations of at least three of those other four guys but 
No, I, I think the way they've gone about it is is ideal. You know, you have DeRozan and Levine have basically been equally lethal on offense. Like, ironically, they have the exact same true shooting percentage, despite going about it like as differently as you possibly could. Uh, but those guys have carried the offense. Like Lonzo has been able to just kind of sit back and and do Lonzo ball things. I think it's the ideal role for him. And you know, my, my concern coming into the year was, you know, how do DeRozan, Levine, and Vucevic specifically split up offensive responsibilities? And the answer so far has been, you know, Vucevic is the Chris Bosh or the Kevin Love <laughs> in this situation. And you know, right or wrong, like I I, I think it's worked out for them. Like I, I think that's clearly the most productive version of this offense so far. You know, we'll see. I, I think longer term, you'd probably like to get a little bit more out of Vucevic. He is off to a, a painfully slow start. I mean, he's down to 13 yeah. points per game, 37% from the field, it, it, below league average PER. Uh, and some of it is just missing shots. You know, he's shooting 26% from three. And, and for the most part, he takes he takes and makes open threes. That's been the case throughout his career. You know, the free throw percentage is down. So th- there's definitely some room for, for Vucevic individually to get better. Um, but there, there was never going to be a world in which all three of those guys just continue their career averages together. Like there's always going to be a, a third banana. And I, I think it's so far it's worked really well with Vucevic being that guy. I agree. Like you mentioned, he he clearly has room to improve. Like he's averaging fewer points in shot attempts right now. That's going to change. Um, he'll be better. You know, it's just it's surprising to me. Like <laughs> I two things. First of all, they're getting a what you mentioned, Patrick Williams absence. Other than that, like their bench is awful. Like they have Caruso coming in and doing a lot of stuff for them. He's had a great year, but they have, you know, their rookie Dasunmu, who is actually like, I think he's, he looks pretty good to me. Like every time I watch a condensed bulls, every time I watch a condensed bulls game, he's just like out there doing stuff. It kind of reminds me of, um, who's that guy in the Raptors Banton. A lot of Banton. Yeah. Every time I watch like a, uh, Raptors condensed game, I see like, I swear to God, I see him like make five shots. And I'm like, who is this guy? Um, uh, but yeah, they're like Javante Green, Troy Brown, Derek Jones. Like they just they do not have a bench and it hasn't mattered. And to me, it's just funny that, you know, like uh, everyone was wondering or thinking like, oh, Levine and DeRozan don't fit together. They're, you know, and it turns out they're a better fit than uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have been playing together. So um, that's <laughs> uh, kind of a bizarre twist to the whole thing, in my opinion. All right, well, we'll end our Bulls discussion uh, on that, like, semi-mic drop on the Boston Celtics. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. 
You got this. Adidas. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, second team on my list, and, and you alluded to him or to them with uh, Delano Banton, the Toronto Raptors sitting at six and five. Uh, I, I don't think I was quite as in on the Raptors as you were on the Bulls, but I, I think we were both a little bit baffled by how low the win total over under was for this Raptors team. I, I want to say it was sitting in like the mid thirties, uh, maybe even mid to low thirties at times. Um, and they are now ninth in net rating. They're 10th in D they're 12th in offense. Um, so essentially a slightly above league average in, in virtually everything type of team. They're also one of the youngest teams in the league. Four of their top nine minutes getters so far are either first year, second year, or people named Steve Akailuk. Um, you also have Delano Banton has played like well over a hundred minutes so far, uh, probably way more than anyone expected. Like he was, he was one of those guys that like I had heard of in pre-draft, like did not expect him to, to go where he did uh, in the second round. And I, I kind of figured he would just be a Raptors 905 guy throughout the year, but I don't know, man. Like Nick, Nick Nurse is kind of becoming this, like, I don't even know what the right word is, but like, I, I don't think there are many coaches out there who would be throwing Delano Banton out for regular minutes in meaningful games early on. And he's just like, look, if this guy's going to play well in practice, I'm going to throw him out there. doesn't really matter what you guys think. Uh, and it's worked so far. And on top of all this, they just got Pascal Siakam back on Sunday. I thought he looked pretty good, all things considered, like not a ton of rust to shake off there. Got a nice couple of day break. He'll be back in action now tonight. Um, I, I think this team, like we, we talked about Golden State wanting to be in a good position when Klay Thompson comes back. I, I think the Raptors being six and five and, and now getting Siakam, I think they have to feel really, really good about where they are. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned, yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of, you know, GMs and coach that are on the same page, it really seems like Masai Ujiri and Nick Nurse are very much on the same page. Um, and that's, you know, led to this team overachieving a lot. I don't mean that in a bad way in this case. And I wasn't, I mean, I wasn't really that high on this team because I felt like they were just, they weren't going to have the talent there without Siakam to hit the over on their total. But I also wasn't expecting Scotty Barnes to be scoring 17 a game. Everyone, you know, especially in the preseason, he was just mostly passing, right? And then he comes out in the regular season and is like uh, more aggressive on offense. And uh, again, it's just a really well-coached team. I, it's just... Yeah, I, I kind of love their team concept where they're like, what if we just, you know, OG Anganobi, Scotty Barnes, Siakam, what if we just grab a ton of these, uh, you know, like two-way six-foot-seven guys who are relatively unselfish? We don't really care if they shoot that well. It doesn't really matter. Um, and we'll just <laughs> we'll just figure it out after that, and it's working. Yeah, it's, it's working extremely well. And you know, OG has taken his game up another level. He's at 20.2 points, 5.8 rebounds, 2.8 assists, one and a half steals, 84% from the free throw line, which is a big jump. He was kind of in the mid mid to low 70s these last couple of years. 43% on catch and shoot threes. Overall, he's not even shooting it that efficiently. So that, that's another guy that, you know, based on where he's sat field goal percentage wise these last couple of years, there's, there's some room to, to get better there. Uh, but as long as Siakam hits the ground running and, and doesn't disrupt, you know, whatever they've had going these last five or six games, I, I, I still don't think like the ultimate upside is NBA title 
because they don't have a Kawhi Leonard quality player on this roster. And, you know, they're, they're still, I think, years away from developing a lot of these guys to, to getting to that point. But, I mean, as of right now, I, I think they're very firmly for me in that somewhere somewhere between like five and nine in the Eastern Conference, which based on the win totals in the preseason was not a guarantee. Yeah, I mean, they have they're putting together a really good rebuild. You know, like Van Vliet and Siakam are, they're both 27. They're like kind of, they're a little old for the rebuild. But if you have like a two or a three year plan, obviously that's fine right. rather than like a five year plan like the Thunder have or something. So mm-hmm. I like their team a lot. I think they, you know, they'll eventually be able to fill out their bench, whether it's through the draft or through free agency. And they'll, they'll be competitive in the East, I think. We also went through this entire Raptors section without mentioning Scotty Barnes, who has been fantastic. I would say second most impressive rookie so far to me behind Evan Mobley. Um, I, I was also glad they, they started Siakam at center uh, against the Nets over the weekend. And, you know, the Nets are somewhat of a unique opponent just because they they have similar center issues to what the Raptors have. They, they haven't really been able to settle on Precious Achua versus Ken Birch versus Chris Boucher. I, I would not mind if the lineup going forward is, you know, Siakam, Barnes, OG, Trent, and Van Vliet. I, I think that's probably... There are certain teams where you might not be able to get away with that, but I think that's definitely the most fun lineup going forward. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you're not if you're not really in title contention, you should, you know, basically kind of feel free to do whatever sort of weird, unconventional lineup makes sense mm-hmm. for your team. And I think this does because, like you mentioned, like Birch is kind of like he's okay, like he's just kind of there. Achu was, I think, trying to do a little too much on offense. Not that I hate that, like he's a young player. Um, Boucher is just. Uh, Nick Nurse hates Boucher. Um, yes, he does. And Boucher is also 29. Like, I think a lot of people who probably listen to the podcast or play fantasy basketball say, assume Boucher is like 22 years old. He's not. He's <laughs> almost He's almost 30. I, uh, uh, I so, would have set the over-under at like 23 and a half. Yeah, he's basically, he's 30 years old. <laughs> um, so <laughs> they have no organizational commitment to uh, making sure he gets his minutes to, to put it lightly. I think this is just like Nick Nurse is like a grow up. All right. Yeah, I imagine that's how it goes at, at practice with Boucher. Uh, speaking of Scotty Barnes, where if you were doing like a, a redraft of uh, the 2021 draft, but for fantasy purposes, we James and I kind of did our redraft on Monday. But if you, you know, if you're in like a dynasty league or whatever, and those guys are coming in, like where would you take Scotty Barnes relative to Cunningham, Green, Mobley, et cetera? Um. It's, I mean, the Cade Cunningham thing makes it tough because we haven't seen him. And I also don't know as, you know, I don't have as strong of a feel for a lot of these college guys as like you or, or James do or a lot of other people because I don't really watch college or or even the G League Ignite that much for most of these guys. But I don't know, man. I think Barnes just from like an all-around talent standpoint because the question coming in was his scoring ability, right? And he's scoring 17 a game. So, because we know he can pass and we know he can play good defense. So, if he even starts hitting threes remotely well, um, I don't know. I, I guess I would still take Cade first, but Mobley second, maybe. It's it's really tough to say. Mobley has like that threes and blocks. He can do so much. Right. He's impossible. I mean, the thing the thing about Barnes and Mobley. You know, Cunningham's just going to be on the court because he's the point guard of a rebuilding team. He was the number one pick. Barnes and Mobley are just guys who on any team in the league, you could just not you can't take them off the court. They're too good. Um, So, like, you're not worried at all about their minutes moving forward. All right. Who's your third and final team? Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay. Um, 
I this team is was confusing to everybody before the season. It's still confusing. Um, Ricky Rubio is having a career renaissance. I he's somehow gotten better um, finally after like not getting better for like a decade. Um, he he leads the team in usage and net rating. Um, you mentioned Evan Mobley. Uh, opposing players are just like scared of Evan Mobley. They will not drive at him. Um, and you know, he plays good perimeter defense. He's just like a terrifying basketball player to go up against already. Um, you know, teams cannot hit shots when him and Jared Allen are on the court. Like they play the super big lineup. Um, you know, like Markinen's out there at small forward. Sexton is a taking the most, the most shots on the team. B looks completely lost. Um, and I just like, it's, it's interesting because it's so confusing to me. I don't know what they are. I don't know if they're actually good, but it's it's just impossible not to be interested. Yeah, and I, I never thought we would be here with the Cavaliers. I, I thought this season would be kind of a disaster, as many of the LeBron-less Cavs seasons have been for most of their existence. I Yeah, there, there's kind of a, a lot of comedy with regard to what's going on with Kevin Love, with them trying to start marketing at the three. That is that is you know, failed in Chicago in the past. Um, and, and really, they've played well with with marketing and love out. They, they're still out with COVID protocols. Um, and you mentioned Colin Sexton. Like, I, I think he's looking at most likely an extended absence here with the torn meniscus. And, right. you know, there's a chance he could, we've seen guys kind of play through it or, you know, opt for the kind of shorter recovery and, and you know, rather than like the, the I, don't know, I don't know, you know what the term is, like where you go in and like actually repair it. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but he's going to miss <laughs> time. And I don't, I don't, feel like that's really going to affect them all that much. And I think more than anything, it speaks to how well Darius Garland is playing and even more so how well Ricky Rubio is playing. And, you know, for my article on Yahoo yesterday, I went through and there are currently four Cleveland Cavaliers players in the top 65 in fantasy. And there's five in the top 90. If you go down and count marketing, uh, who again has missed the last few games due to COVID protocols. Um, but you, you have Garland at 47, you have Mobley at 57 Jared Allen, 58, Ricky Rubio at 64. I, I think of that group, there's a pretty good chance Rubio falls back. I mean, he's he's being bumped up by that seven of eight from three game, you know, 37 points at Madison Square Garden. Like that, that was kind of a once in a lifetime type of performance. So I, I do yeah. expect, like, I expect the scoring in the threes to at least standardize, but I mean, he looks, he looks really, really good. And for a team that suddenly, you know, has like a capable scorer in Garland and a, a big man who can do a lot more, I think, than we thought he'd be able to do right away in Mobley, like suddenly Ricky Rubio feels like kind of the perfect fit for this team. Cause you don't, you don't necessarily need another score first, do nothing else guard like Colin Sexton. Exactly. Yeah. And he was, I, Rubio does make a lot of sense for this team. Cause he knows exactly like he's the kind of point guard that knows how to get his big men, just easy shots around the basket. Like he, he can't, he's not going to be like crossing people over and, you know, like, stuff like that, like Darius Garland can to some extent, but he just knows the right passes to make. He knows where to be. He's quicker than, than most people think. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, they're missing Kevin Love because he's, I think he, he and both marketing are in COVID protocols. Okoro is dealing with an injury. Um, just really bizarre. I think, I just think if you're, if you're Cleveland, you know, kind of regardless of what they end up doing with Sexton, because Sexton's on the last year of his deal and who knows if, what team actually wants to pay Sexton. Um, but you have to at least feel good if you're a fan of the team or if you're the organization that you have Garland and that you have Mobley. That's, that's a real, that's as good of a place as they've been in a very long time. 
Uh, Mobley, especially like just Mobley. That's that's enough. Yeah. You know, like he's he's shown enough through 10 games that you're like, whatever happens the rest of the way is fine. Barring Evan Mobley getting hurt. Uh, like they could as long as he continues to to play well and develop like you have your guy. And they've they kind of tried and failed with that the last few drafts. And, you know, I, I think Garland's going to be really good. I, I don't think he has anywhere near the type of long term potential as Evan Mobley. No, but, you know, I, I think he's improved every single year. You know, like his his mm-hmm. percentages keep going up. His assist rate keeps going up. The assist to turnover ratio keeps getting better. Um, he's only 21 years old. I mean, Steph Curry has basically gone on the record and been like, I <laughs> Darius Garland is awesome. Um, so, you know, it's it's kind of hard to say what comes from his career because I it's tough. He he's six foot one, doesn't shoot a lot of free throws. Like it can be it can be hard, but um, yeah, just a competitive basketball team around Evan Mobley is is interesting just because so many of these guys get put into situations where the team wins like 25 games and, and they're just there's no one to give them the ball in good spots. And he's actually able to con- like you can this this allows you to visualize what Evan Mobley on a competent basketball team actually looks like. Yeah, and Jetty Osmond on a competent basketball <laughs> team. Like, they've finally been able to surround Jetty Osmond with some pieces. Finally. The final team on my list is the Memphis Grizzlies. So we, okay. we can talk Memphis, then we'll get out of here. Grizzlies are 6-4. and four. They are the third youngest team in the league, uh, ahead of only Orlando and OKC, two teams that are deliberately trying to be young. They've had the hardest schedule in the league so far. They have not played a single team that's even close to being bad. Uh, they're the only team to beat the Golden State Warriors so far. Uh, they have a negative net rating, nonetheless. They're, they're terrible on defense, one of the worst defenses in the league. They don't really get to the free throw line. In a lot of ways, they kind of remind me of Atlanta, but they, unlike Atlanta, they've found ways to win, whereas Atlanta just looks disjointed and has let games slip away. Like Memphis has picked up where it left off two years ago, picked up where it left off last year. Um, guys just continue to improve internally, and they've, they've built a team of guys that just like refuses to lose regardless of the situation. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned their their defense. I, I've been keeping an eye on like the the half court offense and defensive stats. And for a while they had the worst half court defense in the NBA. It's moved up to third worst. Um, they're still behind Detroit. They have, they have a worse half court defense on Detroit, but yeah, I mean, Morant, you know, Morant's cooled down a little bit, but he, he I mean, he's still such like a clear cut star in the NBA um, that, you know, he's, he's going to will the team to win some plenty of nights. They, they haven't even Dylan Brooks hasn't played yet. He, I think he's, coming back relatively soon um yeah jaron jackson hasn't played well either like they're they've they've been getting a no-show from from dylan brooks and basically a no-show from jaron jackson jr um who for yet another year is just like not putting it together and um obviously desmond bain has been carrying them a decent amount but yeah i mean six and four with as tough of a schedule they've had i mean you i mean you have to feel great about that I did want to talk about Jaron Jackson because they, they seem to be doing this in spite of Jaron Jackson shooting 36% <laughs> from the field. He's doing the full Porzingis, six and a half threes per game, 35% from three. Uh, they did sign Jaron Jackson to a four-year, $105 million extension mm. before the season. I, I just I don't know what to think because I, they're, they're still winning games and he, he seems to fit in. They obviously felt like they saw enough to justify that extension, but he's just such a unique player. Like he's still, he's he's right under two blocks per game. So he's still providing defensive value, but you know, the rebounding is, is about the same. Um, you know, obviously like he's just such a unique offensive player. And normally you would say that in a good way. Like, I, I don't know if that's a positive, the way he's playing offense right now is just, 
it's really bizarre. Like there's, there's not a single player in the league like him other than Porzingis. And, you know, Porzingis has been as scrutinized as just about anybody. I agree. However, I will say he has the best point differential on the team. So I don't know how to read into that. Uh, but there's at least some positive from that is they, they play well when he's on the court, uh, even if his shooting is bad, but you're right. It's just his, his stat line is very like Porzingis esque or his shot profile. It's, it's worrying. The injury concerns gave him a ton of money. I don't, I don't blame them. They seem to really like him and obviously his potential is there. Um, but it's just, you know, they, they have, they have such a, a team that feels like it should be really bad, but good coaching. I mean, you have to, you have to give a shout out to Taylor Jenkins because, I mean, just like year after year, he keeps, it feels like overachieving with this roster. Yeah, I know talking to James in the offseason, he he kind of liked the idea of, of Memphis doing like a sneaky rebuild this year. And, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing if you fall back and, you know, give yourself a chance to maybe not get the number one pick, but, you know, add another lottery yeah. type of talent to this core. And I don't think anyone on this roster is interested in doing that whatsoever. Um, you mentioned they haven't even had Dylan Brooks yet. I think, you know, that can only help the way he's played the last year and a half. Um, it, it also helps, too, that, like, Tyus Jones is playing extremely well. Like, he's giving them really, really good minutes off the bench. He's shooting, like, 55% from three. Um, has had some clutch shots. Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, both those guys are playing well. Um, they also, they've also barely gotten anything from Brandon Clark, who, like, a year and a half ago we thought might be the second-best asset <laughs> on this entire roster um, and he's completely fallen off. Um, did, did have one good game recently, but other than that, I mean, he's been a complete zero really since the beginning of last season. Uh, but they've, they've just built a, a really nice network of, of guys who, who fit well around John Morant. And, and we barely even mentioned Morant, who is very much in the conversation, not only for most improved player, but he's hanging around like on the outskirts of the MVP conversation. I, I don't think he's truly going to contend for that this year, but I would say at the 11 game mark, a virtual lock to make his first all-star game. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, he's averaging 26 and seven, 1.6 steals, which is basically double his, his steal rate from last season. Probably has to cut down the turnovers a bit. It's at 4.1, which is not great, but I mean, his usage rate is, you know, through the roof, um, 32%. So, um, I mean, and he's, I mean, just in general, like he's, uh, one of the most exciting players in the NBA. I mean, he's he's throwing down like you know, he'll split he'll split the pick and roll and just go up for like an insane two handed dunk. He's like six foot three. It's insane. He's he's amazing to watch. All right, man. We got thirteen games in the NBA tonight, so we got to go uh, supervise and make sure we got everything covered on news. And uh, I just saw an article come across my timeline. Uh, making the case for the Hawks to make a consolidation trade to get Ben Simmons. So I, I think I need to go <laughs> read that immediately. Sounds good. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.